Hold on to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Whoa, is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our job. Joey Clark. Uh, hello and welcome to the program. You are listening to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. I am very excited for tonight's show because, well, as Oscar, one of my favorite writers, said, we are all in the gutter, but some of us are looking at the stars. And really, I used to think, and I never got it checked out by doctors, but, you know, this whole situation where it's a chronic case of crash and burn. But it's always the stars, it's always space, that fascination, that wonder and awe. And it made me go, no, it, like the relation to them is that we name them. We figure them out. It's like eternity's unfolding around us. And we're only now just creating the language to understand it. And my guest tonight is here to help us understand it a little more. His name is Rick Evans. He's the director of the Gale Planetarium here in Montgomery, Alabama. How are you tonight, Rick? I'm fine, Joey. How are you? Oh, I'm having a, a great time, and I'm, I'm glad to get away from the gutter of politics, and especially the news right now is so nasty, um, and it was making me sad, and then I saw all the news going on in relation to space and astronomy, what's happening out there, but I first want to kind of get a getting to know you segment okay. um what can you have like a first memory or a moment in your life where you said i want to do this with my life i want to help people understand the stars understand astronomy no <laughs> how's that now joey i uh i'm a retired air traffic controller yeah um so for years and years and predominantly when i was up in greenland um you're in a control tower at night. You know, you, somebody's got to work those graveyard shifts, and we rotate it. But back in the day, before we had all the navigational aids that they have today, we used celestial navigation, triangulating between stars. And that's really where my fascination started. Okay. Now, every night, I'm looking in the control tower. I'm looking at the moon. And I'm looking at different phases of the moon, and I'm looking at craters, and I'm trying to make sense of what I'm seeing, which kind of led me into this passion of astronomy. That was never my life's mission. I didn't have this epiphany I wanted to be an astronomer. Uh, it just worked out that way. Well, so it's this practical thing that you're just you're having to deal with the sky and the stars practically for us here on Earth. And uh, if you don't mind me asking, how old were you when this change sort of you realized mm, I'm going to retire and I want to continue on with this thing I've learned practically? Well, it it was actually it was by accident okay. um, when I retired from the Air Force. I was standing out by the side of the interstate with a vet well work for food sign. Wow. And uh, actually a, a friend of mine who had retired previously, uh, and we all do this when we have that change in life, and hey, well, when you retire, look me up. So I did. And he worked at Troy University. So I looked him up, and he said, well, when can you start? And I told him I could start immediately. So I was actually, I was hired in a different capacity. 
And while I was there, I kept hearing him say that the, the gentleman who was running the planetarium was leaving. He was getting married. He was leaving. And he didn't know what he was going to do. Well, I still had that Air Force spirit. So I was like, well, how hard can it be and how long can it last? Yeah. Okay. So I've answered one of those questions. How hard can it be? That was 21 years ago. And so I've been in that world for 21 years. The beauty of it is it just gets better and better every year. Unlike most jobs where you're, you're looking for the end where you can quit and retire, things like what happened this week um, with these two neutron stars, the eclipse um, back in August, there's just always something coming up that you're yeah. looking for the next thing. Well, and I, I can't let this go by. So after you retired, you were homeless, or you were no, you weren't actually no, homeless. No, no. to say, but you were like, I got to figure something out. Yeah, I, I really did not. When I retired, I wasn't worried about it. I didn't have a plan. Okay, hmm. I just, I figured I'll find something to do. Something will come. Um, up. And it's it's one of those things. I've never been afraid of a challenge. And so I was like, okay, I, okay, I could do that. Yeah. Um, and that was in 19, October of 95. So now you've been doing this, like you said, 21 years. 21 years. And it really is onward and upward. The, the science is getting better and better. And a big part of, one, of what I want to do tonight is, well, you can go back to poets or to, say, ancient history and the sky has always had this um, profound effect on people more than just in a scientific way and scientific understanding. Like the eclipse. I talked about the, when that happened that it actually ended a war in ancient Greece in that time. Right. And ironically, Trump said we're going to stay in Afghanistan. So I guess this recent one didn't end <laughs> any wars. But, you know, poets have always talked about it. It started with that Oscar Wilde clip uh, or quote. Um, W.H. Auden has this line where I look to the stars as far as I can, can tell. For all they care, I can go to hell. Um, and he comes to this point of, if equal love can't be, let the more loving one be me. And the point is, there's always, I can remember as a small kid, the sky and space, especially at night, maybe go, well, what's beyond that? What's beyond that? It's sort of how I would put it, this God moment that what is going on and it, you realize how small you are and yet you have this capacity to understand the world and you get to do this every day it's so cool it, it is amazing and, and see my youth was Sputnik my youth was uh, John Glenn my mind consisted of astronauts who were hailed as heroes when they came back now uh, the, the shuttles yeah, we don't even fly shuttles anymore, but when the shuttle astronauts came back, nobody even knew who they were because it became so routine. Yeah, and that's unfortunate because there is so much to be fascinated by, to be awestruck by. And so I was looking at the news today, and there are these reports, as you just mentioned, two neutron stars colliding. And this had, uh, I suppose, a, it was it's this profound discovery. Like, they had theorized that this might be how gravitational waves happen, correct? Yeah, this, this was something that Einstein theorized, okay? And we have been looking for an opportunity and a way to prove 
that gravitational waves existed. We've just never had the opportunity nor the technology to do it. Now, it's really interesting because in uh, the astronomy magazine that came out prior to this happening, it was talking about gravitational waves. Um, and it's a, it's a system that they brought online. There's three of them. Throughout. So, again, they can triangulate when these things happen, and it measures gravitational waves. Hmm. It, are we warping and bending time? Space and time. And yeah. space and time, and which is what Einstein said would happen. And so far, everything that Einstein has predicted, we have never been able to prove wrong. Einstein has been right in, in, in all of that. And think about his generation. Oh, yeah. Well, and it's not like there aren't other scientists or weren't other scientists out there trying to disprove them. They're, that's how you make your name in it. Saying, oh, there's a little flaw here. I've figured it out. So there's a lot of very intelligent, talented people trying to make this uh, name for themselves and do it correctly. But that's the beautiful thing about science, too, is that somebody will call you out if you're making something up. You've got to prove this. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And so this was a... Again, describe like the the size of what we're talking about here, where these neutron stars collided, and it gave off not only gravitational waves but light. And so, it, we're talking not that much area covered, but very dense. Yeah, and you know, remember too, and this is what we were kind of saying beforehand. When, when you're in astronomy, there's different sciences in astronomy. And so there's some folks who that's what they do. They, they study, um, let's say, for example, just the sun. Others might study um, pulsars or supernovas or galaxies or gamma rays. And so there's all these different sciences that are intertwined. Mine is not the expertise in this. Sure. Neutron stars are, um, they're the core that's left over when a star shed its outer core, when it exploded or expelled its gases out. So then you're left with a neutron star. Now, these neutron stars, they're, they're about 12 and a half miles wide, hmm. um, smaller than most cities. Now, and, and if we think about it, and I think, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, but I think it was 134 million light years away. And you're looking for something that's smaller than the city of Slapout. Right. Okay. Um, that's not really emitting a lot of light. Um, but what you had was two neutron stars that were spinning around each other and so if it has mass it's going to create a gravitational wave now they, they're not just spinning around each other they're also spinning um just like the earth is rotating on its axis sure okay they're spinning somewhere a little over four hundred thousand times per minute wow per minute <laughs> okay which is extremely fast and then those two, it, so they're creating gravitational waves as they do that. But then when the two collided, it created a shock wave, if you will. And the shock wave just hit Earth not too long ago. 
and this, but like you said, 130 something million light years away. So we're looking at an event 130 million years old. Right, right. And that's what we, you know, we report it like it just happened. Right. No, it happened 134 million years ago, and those waves were just reaching the Earth. Man. And it's, it's remarkable to me that this isn't bigger news, that it isn't something that we can stop bickering in the gutter with one another and just, just look up, just realize that we're now starting to understand this stuff, that these theories are being proven. Like, there's another story out today uh, that scientists found a, a cavern in the moon, and they were able to prove... and that this cavern does in fact exist but there was cut out by lava or something millions of years ago right um which you know we we do think there was some lava activity on the moon uh which is why you see different colors on the moon uh whether it's basalt or what the moon's actually comprised of so more than likely a a cavernous from a volcano well, and this could have potential for, say, folks that want to try and settle on the moon, that you don't want to be on the moon's surface because there's no real atmosphere. Right, right. But we are talking about colonizing the moon. We're talking about colonizing Mars. Yeah. Okay. You know, for years, um, many years, we did what was called the biosphere out in Arizona, I think. So we, we created an environment where you were completely cut off from the Earth. On Earth, um, sometimes there's some places we are that we feel that way. Okay, right. Oh um, yeah. When I was stationed in Greenland, I felt like I was completely cut off from the Earth when I was on the Earth. But they, we put people inside these biospheres, and they had to produce their own oxygen, their own food. Um, what do you do with waste? Um, they, what we wanted to know is, could you do that in a, in a self-sustained environment so that we could do that very thing on the moon. Wow. You know, the moon has resources. Um, eventually, we're going to use up the resources here. There's resources on other planets like Mars. Mars has a lot of iron on it. That's why it's red. So we're, that's what a lot of these missions are about is mining resources. Yes. There's, there's plans to mine resources, which blows me away, um, off of asteroids. Um, you know, we know they're out there. We know they have resources on them. And there's plans to mine resources from an asteroid. Um, well, and, and I guess people wonder, why do people need trillions of dollars? Why does one company or a few companies need trillions of dollars? Why do you need this capital? in order to create the technology to go and do these amazing things. And it does, it's, I'm not talking about just you know monetary wealth, but the effects of trying for these great things. Almost, I, I started off the show talking about does our reach exceed our grasp? And there are a lot of people when they see you know, natural disasters like hurricanes or you know, the stock market crashes, man-made disasters, that you know, maybe human beings were just we're trying to reach too far. Our reach does exceed our grasp. But I tend to like these folks that even if it fails, I mean, even with something like you know, Challenger back in the 80s, 
we make mistakes, but it's not a reason to stop trying. And when we try, we have these spinoff effects of learning things we never would have even imagined. If you just look at the spinoff just from NASA, your cell phone, your microwave, um, just, I, I mean, the list of all the spinoff just from space exploration. Look at uh, Google X Prize. You know, it's, uh, it, it's a competition to send a rocket to the moon. It's got to land on the moon. It's got to travel X number of feet. Okay, and you could win the prize. Hmm. No companies are allowed. This is private um, enterprise, if you will. So there's teams all over the earth who are competing for this. It's like a million dollar prize if they do it. They'll probably spend more than a million dollars trying to do it. It's really about the accomplishment. It's nice to have the monetary prize, but I, I just love the idea of striving and looking to the future, looking to the stars. Um, Because I worry there has been this turn, and I don't want to get too much into politics, but I just have this general sense that there's been a turn here on Earth towards, you know, back to old-time religion. And and I'm talking about, say, movements like radical Islam. Uh, I think there's been a turn back to, and you know, certain pride, like the Chinese dream. You know, if the Chinese dream means the Chinese want to be prosperous— Great. If the Chinese dream means we want a huge military and we're going to use our military might, if Russian pride and nationalism is centered around military might and pride, that's the sort of stuff where I said, yeah, Einstein, that very guy who predicts gravitational waves, also helps in many ways create this technology It leaves to nuclear weapons. And right. we're at a crossroads as a human race where we either are going to destroy ourselves or find something that takes our imagination to better places. And I'm not saying that everything's going to be utopia or hunky-dory, but there's something about when science not only helps you understand what is fact, but also, again, inspires poetry. And it brings me to my album of the day. I do this every day, but tonight is very special. Well, I'll just play a tiny clip here. I think folks know where this is from. I don't want to be a party pooper here, but is there actually a dark side of the moon? There is no. Listen to the end of the album. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to cut the, you know, ruin it for you, but listen to the end of the album. There is no dark side. Well, in that album itself, I was telling you off air before we got going here, it is such a a journey, especially a young man's journey. It's written by Roger Waters, his best friend, you know, mental illness, you know, commits suicide, Sid. And I was telling you that, you know, when I heard the album Dark Side of the Moon at 16, now, oh, it's cool. Yeah, man, it's really cool. It's epic. The music is fantastic. But as I've hit that age that Roger Waters was when he wrote it, it really resonates with me. And to take essentially a, a quarter-life crisis of identity and your place in the world and who you are as a person and to set it against this imagery of the moon and of the sky, uh, it it spoke to me in such a fundamental way. And it's something that I think reaches back 
to long-lost civilizations that we only read about in history books, like the Great Pyramids in Egypt, how they are almost exactly true north. Not quite, but almost exactly. And how this, in so many cultures, spoke to people. And I know there are people out there like yourself trying to inspire folks and teach folks. What would you say is your favorite person to teach? Is it maybe somebody who's never done this and they're an adult, or is it a kid at a certain age? Who do you like to talk to this stuff about for the first time? Anybody who will listen. Okay, yeah. I mean, honestly, Joey, it, it doesn't matter from 5 to 55, 5 to 75. When they have that curiosity, and, you know, that's what really fed me when I started was hearing why. Why? Well, I needed the answer to that, okay? And it, it really motivated me because I wanted to know why, too. I'm not sure. Let me look at that because I'm never going to tell you an answer I don't know. What I'll tell you is it's over my head, too. Yeah. And you can take that as a pun. It is what it is. <laughs> it's over my head, too. But I'm looking, I'll look it up. And that's the beauty of the age today. You know, one of the things you said there is, like with the world, that's one of the beauties of science that people don't understand, especially in, in astronomy. This is a collaborative effort of countries that wouldn't normally talk to one another. Think about it. Who do we join with to go to the International Space Station? The Russian. Okay. But, but you don't hear that on the news. No, not often. But we piggyback with them. We collaborate with them. With There's not a country, very few, that aren't involved in space somehow. And it brings people together. It, it does. It makes you realize that you're the human race and you're on one planet in this huge, as I like to say, unfolding eternity that we're uh, just now beginning to understand. We have to create the language to understand it, the math, and this is what science is. Um, testing our language, our ways of measuring things, um, and seeing if it meets with reality. And coming up, we're going to get more into this. Again, folks, my guest tonight is Rick Evans. He is the director of the Gale Planetarium here in Montgomery, Alabama. Again, the album of the day is Dark Side of the Moon, and Rick has something special to tell us about with the planetarium in this album. Uh, but we'll get more into that after the break. Stay tuned. Joey Clark. Welcome back to the program. 
And again, the message tonight as we listen to Pink Floyd's The Great Kick in the Sky is look to the stars. Even they are surrounded in darkness, and when we see our existence died from theirs, that we are all made of stardust in a way. We see the truth is found in our fictions and the poetry we write for the stars. The lives we lead imitate the stories we create. My guest tonight is Rick Evans. He's the director for the Montgomery Gale Planetarium. And Rick, you are a huge fan of Dark Side of the Moon. Like, we're sitting here off air talking like two schoolboys, like giddy over this thing. Huge doesn't even describe it. <laughs> okay. I mean, it, it's once you get this, when you played that first clip, I mean, the hair stands up on my arms, on the back of my neck, just because I know what note is coming up. I know what, what lyric is going to come up. And all the years that I've that I've played this out at the planetarium, I think this is our probably our 18th or 19th laser light show to Pink Floyd. And let's give the date and time and how folks can. Again, this is a laser light show in the planetarium set to Dark Side of the Moon. It's set to Dark Side of the Moon. It's on uh, Friday, October 27th, and we've got two shows that night. There's one at seven, and there's one at nine. In between that. We do the dark side of the moon synchronized to the Wizard of Oz. Oh, wow. Well, then my room and I are definitely coming. Because okay. I was talking with him last night, and he said that during Great Gig in the Sky, I think, is when they go to Oz. <laughs> and he said that uh, he, that's whenever he hears that song is the image he always sees. Or the tornado and burning yes. up with the, the lollipop guild and all this sort of stuff. And it works so well. Yep, because just as soon as it lands um, from the tornado, okay, Dorothy opens the door. And that's when the the whole song, the whole everything changes because it goes from black and white to color, mm. and it's money. The and so you hear the cash register yes. notes, and it's like ching, and the door opens up, and it's in color. Yes, I mean it's remarkable how it's done. Now they deny. Um, you'll never get the band to say, "Oh yeah, that's how we, you know, we planned all that." Right. Well, I mean. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. And to me, it's actually more profound if they didn't plan it. It's just cool how it syncs up. Um, I love unintentional order, spontaneous order that just pops up and surprises us. Uh, And it makes you go, hmm, there's something deeper here happening, something that's more powerful than us, beyond us happening here. And we're just looking at... And, you know, it's not about the money, though obviously Dark Side of the Moon made all the band members very wealthy. Um, but you said how many weeks on the billboard? It was um, 14 years. It was just over, it was 741 weeks or just over 14 years that, um, it, that it stayed on the billboard charts. Wow. And that was consecutively. Well, and I'm looking at the numbers here today 15 times platinum in the U.S. 14 in the United Kingdom platinum, but we're getting Poland platinum, New Zealand, Italy, Germany. And again, these numbers are 16 times platinum in New Zealand, three times in Italy, two times in Germany, a platinum in France, two times, double platinum in Canada and Austria and Argentina, all over the world. This album has inspired people or touched people. 
and in some ways it's become kind of the hip symbol. You can get the dark side of the moon shirt, and you know it's an image. That album art is the prism is going to be forever an image that I think sticks with people. But it's become iconic. But it's more than that because the message in the album backs up. I think the the iconic the icons. It's not just an image. There's something deep and profound that we're getting at, and. You mentioned this song in particular. Away Speaks to you. See, in, in there, Roger Waters, when he when he wrote this, he was 27, okay? And rather than looking at that he was preparing for life, he found that I'm right in the middle of life. And and that's what when you when you read this, you know, ticking away and how we we do that. We sit there at work, we tick away, and everything is is timed out for us. Uh, you know when you're going to take your break. You know when you're going to take lunch. You know when you clock in, clock out. Yeah. Okay. Are we wasting our lives digging holes? Or are we like the rabbit who's running from one hole to the next? Um, we're just wasting our life. Hmm. Um, or are we? Or are we? are we actually that hamster on the hamster wheel? Or are there ways to kind of jump out beyond that? And I think, well, I think him... Going through these things, essentially this midlife crisis in his late twenties, um, which I can relate to a lot with my mom dying and and tragically, it was awful to watch. And then other experiences in my life, it made me really step back and go, "What am I doing?" Like she died when she was in her fifties. Yeah, maybe this is the halfway point. You don't know if you're going to have tomorrow, and so you. I think what he accomplished by putting these thoughts out there and creating this concept album, he not only defined a generation in terms of music and all the people that would go on to create concept albums and mimic uh, Pink Floyd and what they did with Dark Side, but you also, I think, get this catharsis that these, he in particular, but the band, the music is so crucial to bring out the lyrics were able to create this that related to, again, all these people across different cultures and divides, that these are deep archetypal truths about our lives, especially in the modern era, dealing with money. Or we were just talking off air about, I worry that too often the way people organize themselves isn't by going, oh, we're all in this together, let's look at the stars, let's build a space station, let's colonize Mars. We instead go, Hmm, there's a bad man over there. And this may or may not be true. Sometimes we're tilting at windmills. But there's a bad man or a bad group of people over there. So for us, we got to come together to fight the bad guy, to fight the scapegoat that's causing us all these problems. And that's addressed in... <laughs> it's right here in the soundtrack. Us and them. Yeah. You know, and, it, and it's all about the war and who's calling the shots and where we are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, and it's it's remarkable that he touched on uh, so much, but then the instrumentals in this album, like when we opened up with "Great Gig in the Sky," it, sometimes words don't suffice. That 
in some ways, like we were talking about the neutron stars colliding and sending out all this light and now 134 year, million years old, and we're just now experiencing it and, and seeing it. We can understand it with math. And it's only, and really, I say we. It's only I think a few people in this world, uh, relatively speaking, that actually understand the science. But you know, we're trusting the scientists, and yes, trust is something that's very crucial, folks. You do take scientists sometimes on faith. You say, yeah. 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 "All right, we're going to say this is what the world is telling us right now," and maybe it's up for debate, but. It's almost like we don't even have the language quite yet to understand. We can say things like it's this many miles area and it's this dense within a teaspoon of the star. We can put it in the math, but it's our, our poetry sometimes fails us. So what Pink Floyd did is with like Great Gig in the Sky is have somebody who, and I can relate to this, when you're in the middle of the dark night of the soul and you don't know why life is so crappy. You don't know why we're stuck in the gutter, why people die too soon, why evil people seem to get ahead. And it, the only thing you can do is wail. And that's exactly what Great Gig in the Sky accomplishes. But it has this beginning, sad, melancholy part, and then you get into the wailing, and then it mellows down a little bit. After you've come through that moment, you sort of feel better. You sort of go, oh wow, we can, we can make this work. Now you've been doing this again for how many years with the laser light show and dark side? Oh, Lord, I, eighteen, nineteen years. I think that we have done um, Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, same album, okay, every year. And you're talking about it almost in a way that a little kid would talk to me about Christmas and Santa coming. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. And this really is how you feel. It's it is something you look forward to every year. Well, and and I want to go back to what you said about great gig in the sky because it's an instrumental, but there's a little bit of vocal in it. And he says, "I'm not afraid of dying. Any time will do. I'm not afraid of dying." You know. Now it is kind of interesting because it, then it kind of tapers off and it almost goes to a whisper, like, yeah. "Well, or am I? You know, am I really afraid of dying?" Mm. But you know, he he's wants to convince himself that he's at this place where I'm not afraid of dying. Why should I be? Right. You know, we're all going to die. Why should I be? Well, and it reminds me of uh, folks ask me what I believe. A big part of what I believe, and it resonated with me, is when I started reading Epicurus. And Epicurus would tell his followers, and he had a huge following. Um, a lot of his texts were lost, but there, I think a guy named Diod... Uh, Diogenes Laronidas, he sort of saved and summarized what Epicurus was all about. And one of the major teachings was, why should I fear death? That death, by definition, is that when I'm not here. And when I'm here, death isn't. Why should I fear that I die? And I think it's the line he said, it's not that I will die, it's that the world will end. And That's pretty deep. And it's, again, you have these guys in Pink Floyd addressing that same idea that people have been struggling with for thousands of years since we came up from the muck and the mud. Um, and we've worked our way to this modern civilization. And the reason Dark Side is so, oh, Joey, you sound like an aging hipster. Oh, give me a break. 
I think, yes, there are ancient texts that we should learn from, whether you're talking about the ancient Greeks reading Socrates or Aristotle or Plato, whether you're talking about the Bible and Scripture, and people find very profound, and there's a lot of wisdom in the Bible. Uh, But sometimes things are created in our time that I imagine this album, Dark Side of the Moon, is one of them, that will be studied for years and for years and for years because they hit these profound, almost primordial things. It, and it really is, because it's about insanity. It's about immortality. Um, it's about life. And, and it's all of our journeys. We all share the same journey. We all share the same start, and we all share the same ending. Yeah. Um, we don't want to think about that ending. You know, but as as we were talking off air, there's another line in this song every day, and we don't we don't think of it in those terms. You know, we're chasing the sun every day. It goes behind, below the horizon, and then you can turn around, and it's going to come up behind you. Okay. Well, what does that really mean? It means you're another day older. It means you're one one more day shorter of breath and closer to death, as as he says in his lyrics which I think is so deep because we, we tend to take things a day at a time, but we let those days pass us by. And then the next thing you know, we look at it and we go, what happened all that time? What have I done with my life? Right. Am I wasting time? This is something I talked about with uh, a guest named Rosie on what is really wasting time? Uh, that is it should you just be productive in the sense that we work, we work, we work, yeah, punch in, punch out, take your lunch break, go back on the clock, what you were describing earlier? Or is sitting on the couch, you know, watching a movie or sitting at the planetarium watching uh, this laser light show with modern tech and this album that I think will now live forever? And you could say, yeah, that is not a waste of time. I mean, we should enjoy the fruits of our labor. But if you're sitting on the couch and you're binge-watching a show and there's something in the back of your mind where you're like, I should be doing something else, maybe you are wasting time. But I can hear from you that this isn't a waste. And, you know, it's a joke. Come on down, stoners, to, you know, the laser light show. Watch, you know, the laser lights and then the Wizard of Oz sink the dark side of the moon. But don't just, man, don't just look at it as like a visual cool thing, man. Look at it. As something profound, something, dare I say, that's spiritual, that touches on our deepest anxieties and securities and hopes and dreams. And again, there's something about that looking up, whether it's at neutron stars colliding or trying to find caverns on the moon or, and this is in the news today, and I think it'll start tomorrow, uh, we can start to see Uranus or Uranus uh, in the sky with our, without a telescope, right? Um, potentially. Potentially. If it depends on where you are. If it's dark enough. But, but you know, you, you corrected yourself on how you pronounce that. You yes. Know, you know that there's a move afoot to rename it so we can do away with all that. Oh, do away with the Uranus jokes? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're going to call it Eurectum. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to put it to rest. Walked okay? right into that one. <laughs> we'll just put it to rest. <laughs> oh, but that's, I mean, it is fascinating. And it's something that is, uh, again, I think we need to revisit time and time again. Uh, beginning endlessly is the way I'd like to put it. 
that you're always finding a new way to relive uh, maybe it's a great album or a great book or a memory you have with somebody you love and so much of what my I want my show to be about and again it's always since I was a little kid been about the stars I'm no scientist I'm more I guess a poet or a preacher at heart and yet there's something about the stars that makes you realize I am so small and insignificant at times I'm so I'm not the unique little snowflake that I was taught as a child I am very fragile and I eat food, but I take craps, and I don't feel good in the morning sometimes, and it gets harder each day goes by. But then you realize that the same, like the gold ring you might have on your finger to mark a marriage had to be created in the explosions like they just witnessed with these neutron stars. Absolutely, yeah. And so you're tied up in existence. Like the the same, the most, I, I think I heard Neil deGrasse Tyson talking about this the other day, the same elements that you are made up of are is mostly what the universe is made up of. It is. It is. And there's there are shows that, that talk about that. You are stars. Um, I'll, I'll send you a, a periodic table of element chart that shows you what your body, which elements from the periodic table of element are within your body. Well, and let's be clear. We're going beyond the stuff I'm saying tonight, stuff we're saying tonight, is going beyond straight science. That we're, we're sort of saying, okay, science tells us this, and given those facts, what is the meaning? That was the poetry or the story we can weave out of it. How does it tie into love? How does it tie into trusting people and fostering virtue in your life and understanding the existential crisis in life? Well, and it's, it's interesting because you look at how many romantic songs are all about celestial. Right. Um, and so many things, you know, my bride and I share back and forth. I love you to the moon and back. Yeah. Okay. And there's so many celestial things that we incorporate, whether it's in our music, whether it's in our emotions, whether it's in, you know, I don't particularly ascribed to astrology but some people do um, but all of this that's around us listen listen to music and see how many songs mention the word star um, how many talk about the sun or the moon and it, it'll just it, once you start keying into that it'll amaze you how many are actually talking about celestial events. Well, and I think the more we understand our own sun, what I think a lot of maybe ancient pagans understood as a god, which right. and right. they didn't know any better, and you could see why they might have thought of it as a god. Uh, but I think science, the more we understand our sun as one star amongst millions, billions, uh, however many stars, trillions of stars out there in the wide universe, uh, it, it almost makes the poetry more profound. Uh, and I'm thinking you mentioned the moon, you know, iconic moments like, and it's a wonderful life. What do you want me to lasso the moon for right. you? Absolutely, yes. Yeah, essentially, yes. do you want me to reach to the highest impossible thing because I love you that much? Right. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do anything for yeah. you. So, Rick, 
this has been wonderful. Um, thank you for coming by tonight. And again, we want folks to stop by the Laser Light Show. If you want to do it just because it looks cool and the music's cool and you've never done that, fine. But I urge folks to think of this in a deeper way like we've been talking tonight, that this album and our ability to understand our world in the wider universe is within our grasp. We're only, we're almost like infants getting into this stuff. Yeah. And there's much to be learned to where even news is coming out today. So, again, where can folks come stop by? How can they, you know, take part in this event? Well, at, um, you can get your tickets at the planetarium. Okay, they're $10 in advance, twelve fifty at the door. Um, it's Friday and Saturday night on October 27th and October 28th. Friday night, we're doing two shows with the Wizard of Oz in between. Saturday night, we're just doing the one show at 7 o'clock, Wizard of Oz at 8. Okay. Wow, this has um, been fantastic. Again, thank you so much, Rick. Well, and, thank you for having me, Joy. And we're going to have to go out here, folks. Well, with how the album ends in a way. You've been listening to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Join me again tomorrow. We're going to continue this journey, this question, my own personal journey, our journey together. Does our reach exceed our grasp? I don't think it necessarily does. Have a good night.